Hi everyone. Uh, we're starting with um, James chapter 5, reading, uh, starting from verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, all you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. And we're going to hear the Job reading from the recording. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. Well, good afternoon. It's great to be with you as we finish our time in Job. I hope that's, uh, it's been an encouraging, albeit challenging, uh, adventure for us as we've gone through this. I um, just want to thank Joe for doing the recordings for us. It's been a different way for us to engage with the text, but a wonderful way and a wonderful service uh, to hear those. And so thank you, Joe. I think on the live stream. Hi to those on the live stream as well. Uh, just one announcement to add is we have community carols coming up which are a great celebration that we do every year, but this year with COVID, we have to do it slightly differently. 
to what we usually do. It usually gets a great turnout, which is fantastic. And so we want to do that again. And the way that we can do that is by running two that will be exactly the same, but at 4 and 6 p.m. on the 13th of December. So you would have received a flyer in your uh, zine this afternoon. That's to take and to invite people along to. But when you do, it's important that we register just so that we can make sure that the events uh, fulfill every obligation that we must with this COVID season. Um, but can I encourage you to, to do that and to, to think about which service you would like to attend to, and then also to think about ways in which you could use that creatively to, to go out afterwards and, and perhaps have a picnic or head somewhere and have a meal with someone. But I do commend that to you. Uh, this week, um, Justin put up on Facebook. Uh, Justin on Facebook, that's a surprise, isn't it? Uh, he put up this post. Uh, if Job were a movie, would you want your money back? If Job were a movie, would you want your money back? And he had 65 replies to that. I don't know if that's good for him or not. It's the only post of his that I've looked at. Sorry, Justin. But it was really interesting seeing the varied responses ranging from absolutely to no, I, I, I found it as part of the larger story satisfying. But it's an interesting question as we head into this, this last chapter of Job, the epilogue to the book, the concluding chapter. If it were a movie, would you want your money back? Well, this afternoon, I hope to persuade you otherwise if you would answer yes but recognise that there is many ambiguities here. Uh, there's a book that I read as I prepared for this called The God I Don't Understand. That's a good book by Christopher Wright, and I think that title captures a lot of some of the themes that we pick up in Job, that there's much here of our experience, particularly our experience of suffering and, and chaos in this world, which is beyond us. Uh, but there is a God in whom we trust, and who reveals himself in his scriptures, but it might be a God that we don't completely understand, and perhaps that's a good place to be. But let's pray as we begin to look at this passage together tonight. Father, we're thankful for this book, though it presents challenges to us. So now as we sit beneath it and under your word, uh, may I explain it clearly to the best of my ability. May you, by your spirit, um, comfort us through this passage, challenge us, and take us to see your glory as it's revealed in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've joined us for uh, the first time today, we've been in the book of Job, and Job is a story of a man who is a good man, an upright man, uh, who experiences horrendous suffering. And the suffering he experiences, he does not know, he's not given insight into why he's experiencing this, but we are given insight as a reader in the first chapter of the book, the prologue of the book, of a ledger made between God and the Satan. The Satan there says that Job, his follower, only follows God because God blesses him. He's hedged him in with material blessings and family and, and all these good things, whereas God says, 
Well, no, that's not why he follows me. He's upright. And so we begin this story where God allows Satan to temporarily afflict Job with many sufferings. And the rest of the book is Job's wrestlings with his friends back and forth about questions of God's justice and purpose in this and whether he had done anything wrong, whether this was because he had sinned or not. And we saw last week, uh, as, as a conclusion to this, that Job addresses, sorry, God addresses Job for the first time. So that's where we're up to, and then we get to this section, which caps the book off. But as we look at it through it today, on page 8 you'll see an outline there. I'm just going to jump back into the last six verses in, in last week's reading, just to give us a bit of context as we move forward. See, as we've been looking at this, this book, we, we've been looking at the theme of, of suffering. Now, it's not the theme of the book of Job, but it is a theme that emerges throughout. And if you've ever experienced it, suffering can be a maddening experience. See, some can explain suffering with a detached sense of reflection. I think Justin quoted this, Richard Dawkins quote, but this is how he explains suffering. He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. It's a detached view to, to suffering. But most of us, I think, would find that somewhat existentially unsatisfying as as a reflection. But as we, as we read through Job, his suffering warrants questions. He wants answers to why he is experiencing the things that he is experiencing. And we see that Job addresses his questions and his struggles to the God of the Bible. In his suffering, he demands an audience, an audience from the Lord of the universe. He wants to understand what is going on. In the last two weeks, we've seen the Lord respond to Job in two speeches. Job's asked for explanations, and in these two speeches, we expect to hear the reason for his suffering, but we're not given any reason or explanation. Rather, we're given two speeches where God takes Job on this tour of the natural world and of, of terrible mythological creatures by means of questions, so as to bring Job to a certain perspective, to lift his eyes from his situation, to see God as he is. And Justin said last week, this might not be a satisfying answer to us in our suffering, but it was for Job. For the Lord reveals to Job that he is a wise and good creator of, of wonderful, yet terrible things as well, terrifying things but that the world and its future restoration is in his hands. He, he tends and he cares for this world, even with its pockets of chaos. And the point is, is that he tends and cares for Job. Job hasn't been abandoned in his suffering, even though he might not be given reason for it. And we left last week with Job making this, this humble admission and it's a surrender of sorts. In verses 3 uh, through to 6, he says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. 
My ears had heard of you, but my eyes have now seen you. Therefore, and this is his response, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He's given this perspective of who God is, and that's sufficient for Job to get out of his dust and ashes and to follow the Lord in faith. And in one sense, you could say that this is the message of the book of Job. Job's response was to embrace his creatureliness and surrender himself to to the Lord's power and his care. But there's more to mine here because the book continues in what we're given today. So we've seen that Job is, is spiritually restored with God last week. The mystery of suffering is not explained in full. But in today's reading, we are given more reasons why we can get out of the dust and ashes with Job. And that's where we're looking today, if you'll see in a second point, Job's vindication in verses 7 to 9. So what we, st- we see today in the start of our reading is the Lord makes an astounding statement. Throughout the, the book of Job, Job's friends have been... Uh, wrestling with why Job has been suffering, and and they come to pretty strong conclusions and reasons for his suffering. His friends have stated uh, a a transactional view of of Job's relationship with God. See, they say that Job had warranted his suffering because he'd done something wrong. It's kind of like the old coin-operated machines. You, You insert the coin and out come the goods. And what they're saying is, well, you've, you've entered wrongdoing, and so out is coming suffering. So therefore, repent of the wrongdoing and the suffering will stop. But Job, the whole time, has said, I haven't done anything wrong. The reason I'm suffering is, un, is unjust. And the friends are, are, are maddened by this. And then today, as we begin our reading, in verse 7, the Lord makes this outstanding statement. He addresses Job's friends and he says in verse 7, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So they have, for chapters and chapters and chapters, told Job what it is that he had done wrong, why he had warranted the suffering through their transactional vendor machine theology. And then God comes and addresses them and said, no, you've got this all wrong. Job has spoken the truth about me. That's said twice. God is affirming that Job is, as he said he was, innocent. Now, his friends have have dragged him over the coals for this. They've heaped sorrow on him and brought discomfort rather than comfort. They've been his torturers rather than his carers. God vindicates Job here. It's a real moment in the story. See, vindication is a powerful thing. Unwarranted guilt, pain and suffering can can be a maddening experience. Don't know if you've experienced yourself, but the, the expression gaslighting is where you, you, you seem to think that you're going mad in a situation, even though you can see something's wrong, but your experience of it is something else. You can feel mad in the process, whereas here, God, once and for all, vindicates Job 
to his friends. And Job's vindication here gives us a glimpse of what is true for God's people. There will one day be a time where justice will be truly executed. There will one day be a time when God's people will be vindicated. And this is a comfort in the midst of suffering. It's a comfort to those who are victims, albeit a painful one. So Job, we see here, is restored and reconciled to God. He is he's vindicated before his friends who have heaped abuse upon, to him, upon him. And then we get this little picture of how the verdict uh, is going to play out for them. So just, just imagine that for a moment. They, they've said that the, their theology and their understanding of God is that it's a vendor theology. So you insert your goodness or your, your wrongdoing and out comes the rewards. And suddenly said, God said, no, that's, that's not how it's applied. But, but what if God applied that to them? They'd be expecting him to come down in judgment upon on them, giving them a taste of their own medicine. But here you see a gracious and delightful twist. So you see here the wrong friends are actually reconciled to the Lord. And you see that in verses 8 and 9. They're reconciled through sacrifice and the prayers of an innocent one offered on their behalf. Look at verse 8 and 9. Now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice burnt offerings for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. His friends had misrepresented God. They'd rightly understood God's greatness, but they had completely neglected God's graciousness. And here, the Lord graciously acts in a way that is contradictory to their own theology and understanding. And by way of application, that's, that's, a, that's a comfort. See, the Lord deals graciously with those who get things wrong. Here he deals graciously with the wrongdoers. The friends have spoken wrongly on his behalf, and the Lord treats them with undue kindness. There is grace for those who speak wrongly of the Lord. There is grace for those who have failed to be good friends. But this picture is more a picture of, of Job's vindication. Job has been restored spiritually, he's reconciled to God, and here now he is vindicated. And that's a picture that in the end the Lord will put all things right. And then finally we see this picture in verses 10 to 17 of Job being restored materially. In verses 12 to 17 we see that Job's nightmare is over. A new day of blessing emerges. In verses 10 and 11, his family come and administer what he needed from his friends, comfort and consolation. Then in verses 12 to 15, you see that he's, he's restored materially. He's, he's blessed twofold what he once had in chapter 1. Sheep, camels, oxen, donkeys and, and children... And then in verses 16 and 17, we're told that he lived to 140 years. That, at that time, was, was double the average lifespan. So this is a picture of, of abundant blessing. 
But at, the, at this point, we, we must be thinking, well, come on, really? Is this the end of the story? It might be that you're making your way back to the ticket booth to get your money back, because it can seem a little unsatisfying, can't it? See, are the new blessings you know, so significant that they downplay the loss that he's already experienced? It's as if receiving double of everything makes up for the loss of everything that he had at the start. That new children make up for the loss of the children who have passed away. If that were the whole picture, it would be not just unsatisfying, but, but it's deeply concerning. But I think as, as we read this, we must remember that this is a highly crafted literary piece See, the, the picture here is of abundant restoration. That's why we see the two times of everything that was in the beginning, in the prologue. It's a picture of, of, of blessing in, in abundance. It's a resurrection picture of sorts. Out of the ashes into abundant blessing. And it's a picture applied to those of God's people in the future. It's kind of a micro picture of the macro picture we have in the gospel. There will one day be a day when all things will be made right. God's justice will be executed. There will be vindication. But also in that day will be real blessing, abundant blessing. But that is for the future and not for now. But Job experiences that blessing in the present. But is there more going on than just this restoration that we see for Job after his vindication. Well, the other thing that differentiates the beginning from the end of the story is not just the material blessings, but it's the man himself. See, we have a very different Job that emerges from the beginning to the end of the story. We know that at the beginning of the story, the Lord allowed the Satan to attack Job to take his possessions, his family and health, all terrible afflictions. And this was suggested because Satan said that Job only served the Lord because he, he looked after him. He hedged him in. He blessed him with material blessings. He protected him from evil. And to an extent, Job did because he wasn't in any other situation. He did only serve God because he treated him well. And so Satan assumes that this means that Job's faith is temporary. So this is a picture of Job's testing, of faithful perseverance under testing. But as evil does, evil overreaches itself because Satan didn't expect or anticipate that by gaining permission to test Job that he would demonstrate a character that would persevere under trial. And so the Lord allowed this temporary testing of Job to prove that he was the genuinely wise man who serves the Lord, not because he gets stuff out of it, but because God is God and he is worthy. He shows that it is possible to persevere in patience in the midst of, of trials. That's the other picture we get, and it's not an easy picture to digest, but that Job's character is formed 
and he proves his faith genuine in the midst of this temporary testing. Job shows that it's possible. As one author puts it, Job emerges scarred but transformed. And by way of application, I think that is a challenge for us as we read the end of this story. See, following Christ may mean we experience blessings in this life, and there are many blessings that we have as a Christian following Jesus. This is generally true. Jesus promises as much in the Gospels. But it's not the clean-cut transactional theology of Job's friends. Just because we follow Christ doesn't mean that we'll experience material blessing. That's why we can be thankful for the book of Job, because the book of Job nuances the idea of what we, we reap what we sow. See, we, like Job, are not necessarily hedged into a world of abundant material blessing. In our lives, we will experience suffering. And the book of Job tells us that there is not a straight line between our actions and our blessing or, or suffering. Our lives will be filled of mysterious suffering, but we are still called to patiently endure with patience. And what's more, in the Gospels, we're told by Jesus himself that we will experience suffering on account of following him. And so a challenge from this is, will we follow Job? Will we imitate him and patiently persevere under trial? And I think that's why we can be thankful for the book of Job, because he, he models for us a faith to imitate. He felt abandoned by the Lord, but it didn't lead him to abandon his faith in the Lord. He maintained his fear of the Lord, and he turned from evil. Job models for us this possibility. It's possible to follow Christ and to patiently endure, patiently in the midst of suffering. As you think about it, I don't, I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this, but God could not probably entrust to me as much suffering as Job endured. I don't think I could take it. Uh, as, as one author, Don Carson, points out, but we must not think that there is any doubt in God's mind whether Job could. The testing that Job experiences was one in which God knew that he would patiently endure through. And so it follows that the God who put Job through this testing allows us also to endure temporary trials. The Apostle Peter puts it like this, For a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the provenness, so that the proven genuineness of your faith is evident. But if this was all that was said, it, it, it'd be cold comfort. But here, the Apostle Paul goes on with respect to God's own people. God says, he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that we can endure under it. The picture we get from Job is that we can persevere patiently in trials. We're not given reason for why we suffer, but we're given a sense that we can persevere patiently under trials. And the comfort for us is that we have resources that Job himself did not have. We have the scriptures to guide and inform us. We've got the spirit at work within us to empower and transform us. And we've got a community of God's people around us to spur 
us on. When we suffer, there will always be mystery, but we're left with Job with the challenge of will we follow in faith? Well, as we conclude, we've seen in this end, we've seen Job reconciled, we've seen him vindicated and restored. And as we consider the ending of this story, we see how it maps onto the broader story of of Scripture, and perhaps that's part of its purpose. See, just as Job despised himself and humbled himself, Jesus despised himself and humbled himself by becoming a man, entering into the chaos of the world in order to reconcile us to the Father. Just as Job, the suffering one, intercedes for his unrighteous friends through his prayers to restore them to the Lord, so Jesus, the righteous one, intercedes for us. Jesus restores sinners to himself despite their unworthiness. And what's more, he is the sacrifice for our sin, this glimpse of restoration through substitution. And so as we look at this ending, we see it as part of a bigger storyline that it maps onto. And so as we conclude, you know, would you want your money back from this film, if Job was a film? Well, perhaps, perhaps you would. But if you did, you, you would miss the journey that we've been on, one for which I am I'm thankful as we've wrestled with Job, with a series of experiences that perhaps we have experienced ourselves or indeed one day we will. And we've seen him model for us in the midst of suffering and pain how to approach God, how to address him, but also seen a picture of God's power, his kindness and his care. Job's story to us is a gracious gift. See, the book of Job is a comfort because we see a God who is in charge, is powerful, but he draws near and he cares. But it's also a challenge for us. In the midst of suffering, will we patiently endure? When suffering comes, even though it may prompt us with hard questions, even though we may voice raw emotions, we know through this story that it's possible to faithfully endure. When we suffer, there will be mystery. But the question we're left with is, will we follow in faith? Let me close with the words of the Apostle James. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Let's pray. Father, in what feels a difficult book to address uh, the experiences and the things uh, in which we experience in this life, we thank you for the book of Job, of what it reveals about yourself in your power, in your care and your presence, but also what it shows us of how to patiently endure under suffering in the example of Job. Father, would we be those who entrust ourselves to your care when we don't understand? 
to know that you are in charge and that you are working all things to restore them under your son, the Lord Jesus. Would we entrust ourselves to him and faithfully endure in the midst of trials? In Jesus' name, amen.